Welcome to High Noon, where we talk about controversial subjects with interesting people. And I always exhort everybody, uh, myself included, at the end of each one of these episodes to be brave. Um, and I promised you that I would bring people who are brave, uh, just talk, who are speaking out on uh, a lot of these subjects when uh, it's not necessarily comfortable for them to do so. And that's the reason I'm really proud to, to welcome Paula Scanlon to High Noon. Um, Paula is a swimmer. Uh, she's a graduate of U. U Pennsylvania, um, U Penn, uh, and she's now out in the adult world. Um, but she has joined her uh, former teammate Riley Gaines um, in speaking out about some of the issues surrounding biological sex in women's sports. Um, so, Paula, welcome to High Noon. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, tell me about yourself. Tell our audience about yourself. Um, you know. How did you end up swimming to begin with? How did you find it as a, as a passion? Um, and and so how did you end up getting mixed up in, in some of these political and sensitive topics? Yeah, so when I was in third grade, um, the town, the YMCA in my town actually had finished building an Olympic-sized pool. Um, that was like a really big deal. Um, so my parents said that I needed to get into a sport to kind of have like an after-school hobby. Um, and it was just coincidental the year my dad decided to tell me this in third grade that the pool had been finished. So at that point, I kind of joined the swim team. It was like twice a week, not a huge commitment. And I did it for a few years, very unseriously. Um, and so when I was in sixth grade, my brother went off to college. And I was in this, I was, you know, all my friends had moved up onto this program this like more advanced level and the coaches were like she's not dedicated she's not prepared to do this my parents were like can we just try um so I started as like the slowest person in the last lane and and by the end of the month I had moved up into like the second lane I just started taking it super seriously once my brother went to college because I wanted to have something that was my own and then from that point um I didn't miss any practices it was all in swimming was you know like the number one thing I wanted to do um, so that was like how I started. And then obviously I kept doing it through high school. Um, my high school had a pretty successful run. We won our like our high school league, uh, my junior and senior year. Um, and when it came to picking colleges, my brother actually went to Penn as well. And so I wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps, but also have my own twist on it because he wasn't a, an athlete in college and he wasn't, you know, ever that dedicated to athletics. So it was like my way of going to the same school, but doing, doing it my way. So that's kind of how I ended up at Penn. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of the timeline of how Leah, formerly Will Thomas, uh, joined the team, sort of how the team initially dealt with that, um, and then what you thought about it when you heard that a male, biologically male teammate was going to join uh, sort of your half of the locker room uh, between these two male and female sides of the same team? Yeah, so um, my freshman year of college, there was no talk about transgenders and, you know, people competing on other teams. But uh, the first month of my sophomore year, so the fall of 2019, um, there was a team meeting and notably the meeting was very interesting because the men's team had a meeting first and then the women's team had a meeting after. And our school was a combined program. So meetings where the men and women were separated were very, very, very rare. Um, so we all didn't really know what to expect. And we go into this meeting and at the time, Will Thomas, 
Um, we go in with our coach, Will Thomas is there. And I'm like, oh, why is there a member of the men's team here? It was very confusing. And our coach just said, Will, this is your meeting. Take the floor. Um, and then just said, I'm transgender and I'm going to be transitioning to the women's team. It was very, very brief, less than five minutes. There wasn't really um, any questions. Everybody was just like, oh, congrats, welcome. Um, you know, and then our coach said, everybody get, get in the pool. And that was the last we talked about it formally as a team. And even when this season actually begun, there wasn't even meetings before the season of 20, fall 2021 when it actually happened. We didn't, we didn't have any meetings preempting that season to discuss it. It was just Leah was there one day and Leah's a member of the team. Um, and, and how did you feel about that initially? You said it was pretty universally sort of congrats. That was the, uh, you know, um, that was the initial response. And I know this happened kind of before and after COVID as well. Right. Um, so there was a big break in the middle. I mean, how did this, uh, this issue start to bubble up in the team Were there, or, I mean, did you and the other girls talk about this? Did anyone voice that they might be uncomfortable with it initially? I mean, how did those conversations develop and how did your coaches and the university respond to them? Yeah, so initially I couldn't really read the room on how comfortable people were or weren't with the situation. It's very, very hard to tell when it's shocking, whether someone's just shocked or whether they're excited. So I personally just kept to myself about the opinions. Um, but I did talk to my friends who were outside the team about it. I talked to my family about it, just saying, you know, this is crazy. And at this point for me, I didn't know anything about the rules. I said, oh, okay, there's a year of transition. There must be some protocol. So I go down and I start researching testosterone and the effects of testosterone on the body and all of that. Um, and I start reading the NCAA handbook, just like, just cause I had no idea what any of the rules were, and what to expect from this entire situation. And, you know, I found immediately that the, the changes in their testosterone level are very unclear how much that actually affects your athletic ability. There was a lot of studies that were done on like lowering men's testosterone and seeing how they're affected, um, in athletic sense. And, you know, it was very, very unclear at best. So. That was definitely concerning, but in terms of people in the team, it was just obviously you want to be inclusive and the environment of 20-something-year-old girls is always to be inclusive. So amongst my team members, it was very much we would just have conversations just saying, oh, how's Will feeling? Is Will comfortable? Or, oh, why don't we invite Will to this event so that they can start being more comfortable with the women's team when they do eventually join? Um, so that was the conversation among the team in that that transition year that uh, after it was announced. And and then after you took this break, right, because there there just was no competition for a while during COVID. Um, after you came back on the flip side um, and, and this had by then this had started to become a media sensation. Right. Um, there, there were media outlets reporting on the fact that, you know, Will now calling himself Leah was swimming and competing um, against women because it was just such a like sort of shocking, visually shocking thing. Like he's not a small guy. He's physically much more imposing than the women uh, that he was standing next to the podium on. There starts to be a media circus around this. You know, how did the atmosphere and the team behind the scenes change when that started to happen? Yeah. So as competition begun, I would have one-on-one -on -one conversations with my teammates and I would say, oh, like, you know, 
what do you guys think about this? And, you know, people would, people would, you know, voice their concerns one-on-one. Like there was a teammate of mine who mentioned, I think we should put an asterisk on the record board. Um, and another girl who said, you know, maybe the Leah should compete, should compete exhibition, meaning, you know, like get to compete with the women's team, but their times don't count. Um, and a lot of people had this conversation, but there was never a formal meeting about this. And the thing that's so interesting to me is you could have these conversations with people, but then as a group, everyone would always just say, this is so amazing. You know, we're really proud of you. We're part of this great team. But it was like the same people who you'd have one-on-one conversations with knowing that they disagreed. So it was a very confusing situation to navigate of like, is someone telling me this because this is what they think I want to hear? Or are they afraid of just seeming bad to a full group? And it was just it was just so difficult to gauge what everyone actually thought about it because everyone was saying, you know, two different things about the whole situation. Um, so at this point, I just tried to really limit my conversations to just one-on-one conversations with people. I never talked to more than one person um, and just trying to really be careful about who I spoke to and how I presented my side of what I thought was going on. Um, and how, how did your coaches, I mean, did anybody go to the coaches um, and then how did the university respond uh, to these one-on-one conversations that were happening on your team? So a lot of girls went to our coaches individually and just raised concerns about it. Um, I talked a lot to our assistant coach at the time, um, and she obviously just said, like, you know, my co- my job as a coach is to be supportive of my athletes, and, you know, I, there's nothing I can really do. Um, and my head coach had similar sentiments. But, um, she, like, other girls went to the athletic department directly. I honestly never did that because I didn't really trust them. Um, but it wasn't until the media really started picking up that the athletic department came in and actually sat us down and had a team meeting and told us like to stay away from the media, which I thought was very interesting because I think they should have definitely addressed it earlier if that's what they wanted us to do. But it was already many months into the season that they decided to actually formally have a chat with us about what was going on and how, you know, there's nothing we can do to get Leah off the team. Leah will be completing the season no matter what. You guys just have to be okay with that. Um, you know, my, my, uh, family is from, and I think your family is also, your family's from Taiwan. Are they not? Yeah. So my, my family is born there. My family is from Eastern Europe. Um, and from communist Poland. And so, you know, I always grew up with sort of stories about, um, you know, about authoritarian systems, about communism, about these kinds of whispered situations. And what, one of the, um, famous sort of uh, ways ways to get dissidents to shut up one of the threats that was used um, not as much I think in Poland but in the Soviet Union itself was to declare them mentally incompetent or insane right um, to suggest that having a different opinion makes you uh, mentally uh, incompetent um, it seems like the university almost did this to you they sent an email to the team um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about one, they told you, you know, Leah's going to stay on the team, right? Um, and if you have a problem with it, you know, don't talk to the media. Um, but they also mentioned something that was quite disturbing to me about basically suggesting that anyone who had a problem with the idea of a man swimming on the women's team needed to seek, seek psychological help. Yeah. So they actually never put any of this in writing. 
Um, and again, I actually saw Harvard actually did, which is very interesting. Um, Penn is definitely very smart to do that. So backtracking this, it really started blowing up in the media at the beginning of December. We get an email from an assistant to the athletic director saying, hi, girls, like addressed only to the women's team, team meeting in the stands, four o'clock, everyone mandatory, you need to be there. And the interesting part about this is every other team meeting we've ever had has been set up by the captains or the coaches. So the fact that the athletic department was the one who sent this email, and I have the email proof that they did book this meeting, was very weird. And so I was in the early slot of practice that meant I practiced before the meeting happened. And I was so anxious because I had no idea what they were going to say, but I knew it wasn't going to be good. Um, so we go to this meeting and there was like 10 people standing there. It was our coaches. There was multiple people from the athletic department. There was someone from the LGBT center, someone from the psychological service services. And, um, let me, yeah, I think that was pretty much the panel of people that were there. And they just said a few things. The main takeaway was don't talk to the media. They're not your friend. You will regret speaking to the media. Another thing they said is Leah swimming is a non-negotiable. And the third thing they said is if you have issues with that, here are the resources that can help you be okay with that. One of which they offered us psychological services. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that they were suggesting that we needed therapy in order to be okay with the situation. And that was definitely the most concerning. I mean, the rest of the people that were there, it was okay. I would have expected them to say not to talk to the media. Every other team in the Ivy League and other teams were told the same thing. Riley was told the same thing at the University of Kentucky. But I think the fact that they brought in psychological services was so, so, so scary because it was basically suggesting that we needed to be re-educated. So that's the way I took it. It was, they're suggesting they needed to have re-education. And again, like you mentioned about a lot of communist countries were doing that. Um, and again, I didn't take them up on that. I don't think anyone did, but I would have been very curious to know what they would have said in a therapy session. Had you gone and talked to them about this? Yeah, actually nothing, nothing's new. Um, even, even in America, because when I was in university, um, around 2009, uh, my, I was part of the college Republicans. We did, we did some, um, public sort of protest. I can't even remember what it was a free speech protest basically. Um, and we, I also got an email saying, uh, referring me to, to the psychological department, um, to deal with my, my, uh, psychological quote unquote, you know, problems for, for merely having a, a different opinion and putting it on a sign. Um, and that also struck me as, as, uh, quite authoritarian and, and scary. Um, after, after that meeting, right. Um, we're, were your teammates and you able to to have even those one-on-one -on -one conversations? Did people shut up? I mean, um, at what point did you decide, you ultimately decided, right, to write an anonymous op-ed about this? So how does that all factor into this? Yeah, so immediately after this meeting, so the, the backtrack of this meeting is that I had already gone to the press, but they hadn't released the story yet. So they had this meeting and then the next day basically my anonymous interview was published so a lot of people interpreted that as i went to that meeting and immediately was like i hate everyone here i'm gonna go do exactly what they told me not to do but in reality i had kind of done that before so i knew that i had done that 
I was really scared because I said, oh my gosh, I just went, you know, around everything that they just told us. Um, and I didn't know how people were going to react to it, but obviously I wasn't going to take it back because I never said anything that I regretted. I didn't. And I also wanted people to know that the girls in the team weren't okay with this. Part of the reason why I went to speak to some outlets anonymously was I didn't want the narrative to be that the girls in this team were accepting of, of something so unjust that was happening to us. So I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I was thinking like, can I try to contact this reporter and retract it? I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was talking to my parents. I was like, should I be worried? Talking to my brother. I just said, you know, I'm just going to let it play out. And at this point comes out, people figured out it was me. I, I told one girl I was doing it, you know, word gets around. Um, and then I started getting nasty text messages from my own teammates telling me I was a horrible transphobic person. And it was so stressful for me that I didn't want to talk to anyone on the team. I actually ended up getting physically ill from the entire situation. Um, I got a 102 degree fever, couldn't practice, couldn't swim. I told, I called my assistant coach and talked to her for 30 minutes about the whole situation. And she obviously felt for me. She felt bad. She didn't blame me for anything, but she didn't know how to handle it either. So at that point I was like, okay, I'm never talking to the media ever again. Maybe I will in the future. I'm not sure. But at that moment in time, I was physically sick from everything that had happened. I just said like, I need to just take a breath from this. So, you know, I ended up just feeling really horrible. My teammates were really mad at me. No one would speak to me. And then just taking a few months of time, it took about another month. By the beginning of January, I was kind of right back to where I was. I was like, okay, no, I'm still going to talk to the media. I'm still going to make sure you do this. And so in January, I was approached by a friend who I actually knew from College Republicans who wrote for the Daily Pennsylvanian, our school newspaper. And she said that they're interested in publishing a singular piece in opposition to Leah Swimming because there was a bunch of pro Leah Swimming articles coming out. So she um, approached me to do this, said it could be anonymous. And, you know, I started working with an editor that was somebody else. And it was the most painful back and forth process where they gave me a bunch of rules and we had to just keep going back and forth and I would write a sentence and they would delete it because it was too harsh or they would just say, you can't say this, or they would just cut things out. And it was the most frustrating process in my entire life. When they end up publishing the article, half the sentences have been cut without my permission anyway. And then they end up retracting the entire thing within a few hours of it being up. So it was like all this time and energy of going back and forth for literally no article. And then the pro Leah article still came out and there was no opposition. Um, you, you really went out of your way. I mean, uh, in, in places you've talked about this op-ed that you wrote and you just kind of indicated it again, you went out of your way to, for example, I think avoid using pronouns and um, to, to really lay out in the, in the kindest possible way uh, why this was unfair to you and your teammates. Um, I guess, how did you feel when the response, even to you bending over backwards, it seems like when I, when I was, uh, you know, looking through what you've said about this, you, you've, you've bent over backwards to try to not be, you know, offensive to anybody and just to say the truth in the nicest, kindest way possible, which is that there are differences between males and females. Um, and it's not fair to, you or the other girls on the team or the the women who are swimming against 
um, against this biological man uh, not to recognize those differences. How did you feel after bending over like that far and sort of really, really trying your best um, to, to not be offensive when even that attempt was taken down basically a few hours after publication because it was considered uh, so wildly out of the Overton window, so wildly offensive um, that it needed to be removed and retracted? Honestly, I mean, I was shocked. I think my biggest thing is I had hope at every single stage of everything that happened throughout that year. And then in things in general, like you always hope that the truth will prevail and and the right thing will come in the end and you have trust and you have faith. And so I I think I just assumed that, oh, maybe we'll we'll come back and we'll work together and we're going to finish this piece. Like I actually, once it got retracted, I did actually think this editor was going to come back to me and we were going to somehow rework the piece and get it back up. I don't know why I believe that. Um, But he actually stopped responding to me. And so I remember actually, funny enough, I was rereading my text messages with this editor today just to kind of like refresh myself of the situation. And it was like, we had a conversation. He was like, we'll keep you posted. And I said, okay. And he read it and didn't respond to me. So I messaged him back like a week after this whole thing had happened. And I was like, hey, any update? And he like read the message and never responded to me. Um, and so it was at that point, and then like eventually I literally just kept calling him and eventually like he picked up and just explained to me, like, you know, no, like I'm frustrated at the Daily Pennsylvanian for this, and I'm really sorry that it happened this way, but we're done. Um, but it, the thing that's so funny to me is and I've published this on my Twitter and people can read it, the article that ended up getting published was one of the softest pieces that's ever been written, like ever. You know, there was not a single word in there that was controversial or offensive. There was even an entire paragraph that talks about how I affirm Leah's decision to live their life as their true self or something along those lines. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's just so many, so many aspects and so many catering to, to the transgender individuals, to all of this stuff. Like the article was intended to dissect the NCAA's policy and how it's incorrect. That was the that was the intention. And it was somehow this wild, crazy offensive piece and again i can't validate this but apparently half the staff was threatening to quit over having that article be up because it didn't stand for their daily pennsylvanian values like isn't the whole point of being a journalist that you're supposed to be able to read something that you don't agree with my grandfather worked as a journalist he had people he violently disagreed with like so much so that you know he would scream at them until they were red in the face but he still worked with them he still read their papers he still obviously was published alongside with them so it's just insane. <laughs> so what changed your mind about coming out with your name attached to this? Because at this point, um, you know, this this piece is still written not under your name, right? It's still anonymous. Yeah. So the piece, I mean, I've published it. I mean, it, it's nowhere on the Daily Pennsylvania site. So for, for what it's worth, the piece doesn't exist. I mean, I, I put it up on my Twitter, but, you know, it's not, it doesn't really exist. But um in terms of myself, I think for me, I just assumed that the situation we were put in was controversial, obviously, but also I thought it was a unique situation, right? I said, okay, you know, I had this horrible experience. The NCAA wronged me, but they're not going to wrong every single team in the entire country, and they're not going to do this to every single sport. Um, so I just said, you know what? I need to just 
forget about it, move on from swimming and just go to the working world and just move on with my life. That's what I had told myself. And i had had conversations with Riley about this and just said, you know, I needed one year of my life to just be normal. But it would continue to eat up at me. And I would think about it. And I would cry at night about my experiences and hearing about this happening to other girls. And Peyton McNabb, the volleyball player, when I heard about her story, you know, I, I like almost couldn't move. But she was severely concussed. She was, you know, harmed for her, like her entire like life was kind of altered by the situation of being spiked. The ball, I think the ball that hit her was, you know, the speeds of higher than the fastest Olympians in volleyball, like the spike speed. Um, And so it, it was just things like that, watching Riley get attacked um, when she was in San Francisco. And I just, you know, things just continue to happen and it just kept getting worse. And I, I really did think that, you know, changes would be made. Like my voice is not needed in this fight. Everything will be fine. Again, back to the having hope, having faith. And then I kind of realized at a certain point that if you want something done right, you have to be willing to do it yourself. And that was really when I realized that if I have these opinions that are so strong and I'm not willing to speak about it, then why do I even spend my time and energy thinking about these things? So it was just a lot of back and forth with myself. And finally, I realized the right thing to do was to talk about it. And I'm really happy that I did because, again, there's so many opportunities to share our story. And we actually have an opportunity to really push change to get this right. Um, one of the things that I think you're you're participating in is um, there's a IW is is helping put together this this protest up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a different sport, right? Cycling. Um, you know, uh, you're going to participate in that, right? Yes. Yeah, I'll be there. Um, what what message do you want to send to these athletic organizations, whether it's in cycling or in swimming or in in, in all these other um, athletic competitions about what it means to you and what it meant to you as an athlete to have your voice completely silenced like this. Yeah. I think what these organizations need to know is that women are not going to, are not second-class citizens in this country. I think a lot of people um, really weaponize the fact that women are very agreeable. Women do not like to, you know, make waves and make people upset, but if you're going to have women's sports, you need to be willing to protect us. If not, then we should just get rid of them altogether. If that's if that's what you believe, these organizations, if you believe that biological men can be competing in our spaces, then why even spend the time and money to have women's sports to begin with? And if you're not willing to stand by us on this, um, then no women should compete. Well, let's just make our own female leagues. We, sh- we shouldn't have to work with you guys if you're not willing to protect us. So that's my message to these organizations. I really think they need to take a stance and protect women. And if they're not willing to do that, we need to make it clear that we're not going to stand for this. What do you think about the implications? Uh, Because obviously this is as important as women's sports are to the athletes who are actually participating in them and the spectators and their families. Um, You know, this really is a, a species. It's just one of those, those places where it's become so obvious, right? That we're not allowed to talk about the biological differences between men and women. Um, I'm sure you've heard that we're putting biological males into women's prisons, for example, in a, in a place where there's obviously the potential. You talk about uh, the volleyball player who, who was injured, um, and we could talk about, I think there's also an MMA player, uh, MMA fighter who was 
injured by uh, a biological man, you know, competing and fighting against uh, against her. her. Her skull was cracked open, as far as I recall. Um, so they're obvious dangers even within the, the sports context. Um, but those dangers are even clearer in some of these more, quote unquote, real life situations, right? Like between incarcerated women and men. Um, you know, when, when you and I fly to the air, uh, you know, we, we go to the airport, we, uh, if, if we set off the alarm or whatever, right. Um, and the scanning, we, we count on the ability, uh, of the TSA to, to assign a woman to, you know, pat us down potentially in like intimate, uh, in an intimate way, um, that, that's certainly would not be comfortable with, with a man, uh, doing that, um, at the airport. There's all these instances in which the truth of male and female differences um, is currently recognized. I mean, how do you think about women's sports in, in relation to all of these other ways in which, you know, I feel like women are opportunity to compete uh, like as on the, on the sports field, right. Um, Our opportunity to, to have some privacy uh, when we're changing, for example, Um, our opportunity to actually, you know, protect ourselves and stay in, in uh, and feel safe in uh, spaces that are only for us and other women. Um, how do you think this fight relates to that broader uh, sort of assault that's happening it's seemingly in all kinds of basically anywhere where our society or law acknowledges that boys and girls are different, that men and women are different? Yeah, I think sports is really like the public forum that these differences are most obvious. So for me personally, and again, I, I do personally agree that um, the, the, the attack that's happening in these bathrooms and these prisons is honestly arguably worse than what's happening in sports. But I think the importance of winning on sports is that can help set precedent to protect us in other spaces. I think the sports is the most public one. It's the one, you know, everyone can visually see what's happening versus in these bathrooms, in these prisons, those are more behind closed doors. So if we can raise attention to this um, athletics issue and say, okay, this is not fair. Here you can clearly see men are superior to women in these events. Um, then we can take those wins and apply them to the other female spaces. So that's how I think they're all related. Now, obviously, I would love to get attention to every single one of those issues all at once. But I do think sports has the best angle, again, because it's it has a, you have public proof of this versus these prisons. It's so hard to get in contact with prisoners. And public bathrooms, mo- bathrooms don't have cameras inside of them generally, right? you can't really see what's going on there. So the proof of the attacks are not going to be as evident. Um, so we definitely think we do need to win on all of these things. I don't want people to think that we're forgetting about um, prisons and bathrooms and other women's spaces that are being invaded, but sports we can do first. Yeah. I mean, sports are such a public, as you say, and, and physical activity. It's, it's like, a. I mean, how, how do you think about, free speech and living in America, trying to relate back um, to, to some of the, the background that we share coming from more authoritarian countries, our families coming from more authoritarian countries and regimes. I mean, do you think about us in America differently now, um, given that you've had this experience, not only of this unjust thing happening to you um, as a member of this swim team, but also the attempt to silence you, right? The attempt to shut you up, to pull your words down, you know, from the internet, um, you know, at, in, in this very Orwellian 
sort of fashion for for simply noticing something as that as we just discussed is really obvious in the sports context, right? It couldn't be clearer when you look at you know uh, when you look at a man, a, a big man like Leah Thomas, right? And you you look at like I said, next to his, you know, his competitors, his female competitors, this is something that's so obvious. I mean, did it, did it make you feel crazy uh, to, to have something that is to saying something that is that obvious uh, to have people respond in such a way to saying something that's just obviously true. If you have a set of eyes. Yeah, no, I definitely felt crazy. It's, it's, that's the tactic that they use though. And like you mentioned, they want you to feel crazy. They want you to feel isolated. They want to make sure no one wants to talk to you so that you are locked in your own thoughts. And I, I was a shell of myself second semester of my senior year. I didn't leave the house. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't want to talk to anyone because I just felt so defeated and I felt so wrong. And psychologically, I, it was very, very challenging. I didn't, I didn't even know like what to do with myself. Um, And I think, that is like the broader issue that this touches on. I think in general, you know, free speech is starting to become a really big problem in this country. Um, that's part of the reason why Elon Musk bought Twitter. And now Twitter is, you know, pretty close to a free speech platform. Obviously, there's still some policy that, that has been in there before Elon came in. You know, it's kind of grandfathered in. But before that happened, there was people getting thrown off Twitter left and right for saying things like, you know, men and women are different, or there are two sexes. Um, And that's just scary, because it's so obvious. I mean, it's just, even if you ignore the human race, if you look at plants, you look at animals, right, there's always there's male and female in most of these things that just exist around the world. And it's like, how, how has that become controversial? Um, So how have things changed i mean have you gotten any messages from since you've come out under your real name your face um not anonymously and you've started speaking out you've done some interviews with fox as far as i could see on the internet you've you know you've had your story written up um in major news outlets how has you know how has your sort of private life reacted to that right have you been getting messages from your teammates do they privately agree with you do you think any more athletes, female athletes in similar situations are going to come forward uh, after you and Riley have, have sort of stepped into the spotlight? Yeah, a few of my teammates have um, thanked me for what I'm doing. Um, and I mean, they're not surprises. I pretty much think I, I knew exactly which girls from the team were going to reach out to me when I did come out. And you know, it's pretty much exactly what I expected. Um, there have been other people that aren't related to the swimming world that have reached out to me in like very, very, very weird ways. Like a guy that I like knew freshman year of high school uh, messaged me on LinkedIn of all places. Um, someone from my middle school reached out to me. I haven't talked to this kid in maybe 10 years. So there's a lot of, a lot of surprises of people I never expected to not, not a, let alone see this, but care enough to just tell me that they agree with me and they support me. Um, so it's definitely been a, very very surprising in that sense um obviously i do hope other girls from my team feel um you know willing to speak out and i and i think that they might eventually i haven't given up on that Uh, i think other people in that sphere you know are still scared and i hope that they won't be and i hope that i can help support them in however they need 
to feel comfortable, but I think it definitely would be very important to me also to have somebody backing up, you know, everything that I've said. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm still hopeful for that, but definitely. And I hope other athletes and other sports that have been through this also feel courage to speak up because the more voices we have, the harder it's going to be to shut us down. Paula Scanlon, thank you so much for, for joining High Noon. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to our listeners. High Noon with Inez Stepman uh, is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. As always, you can send comments and questions to Inez.Stepman at IWF.org. Please help us out by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, ACAST, Google Play, YouTube, or IWF.org. Be brave like Paula Scanlon, and we'll see you next time on High Noon. <laughs>